0: hello everyone and welcome to the first installment of chasing unicorns a podcast series where we'll be picking the brains of some brilliant investors founders and industry experts to offer up different perspectives on innovation and entrepreneurship i am your host justin gia and in this episode my co-founder espon alvarado and i sit down with our mentor jim cooper jim is the co-founder of los angeles-based accelerator break theory which focuses its efforts on helping blue tech and blue economy firms build and scale into prominent ventures. We kick things off with Jim posing his views on the many problems within the startup ecosystem and he also provides some insights on what it truly takes to be a successful founder. Hope you guys enjoy.
1: Well, there's a couple of problems with the ecosystem. One is that one, one of the biggest things that I find is that there's this layering, layering of services and everyone's kind of got this redundancy and in, 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 in layering of services, um, which means that, you know, you can go to one place, to another place, to another place and there's fairly, a fairly even distribution of the same kinds of, I don't know. I I, I I loathe to call it coursework, but it really kind of is. You know, advice and, and everything. It's a lot of it is um, anecdotal, so it relies heavily on mentors, uh, and th- those mentors can, very rarely are, are, um, are checked. Are, I mean, they're verified as as far as the, them being mentors are concerned, but there's very little um, follow through for um, whether those. Um, those mentors have been giving good advice you know or or whether it's just you know plain old anecdotes you know i did it this way and and it worked for me so maybe you should try it too kind of stuff i i'm i'm not a fan of that so there's a lot of that in the ecosystem and and i think that um you know, when someone turns around to me and says, you know, they've got a B2B business model, I, I, I cringe, you know, I get goosebumps down my arm and I think myself, oh, my God, you know, that's not a business model, you know, that's a method of approaching the market, but it's definitely not a business model. You know, a business model has all of the things, you know, there's a reason why the um, Steve Blank has nine squares on a lean canvas because it's more than just saying you need B 2 B2B, you know. It's about a value proposition. It's about who your customers are. It's about a channel to market and how much you right. you're charging customers. Right, cost of goods sold. All those things go into it. So it's clearly not. Um, and yet, a lot of a lot of um, advice that that the mentors are giving are, are, is is kind of um, is kind of vague like that. Right. I, I'm I'm not a proponent of that. The other the other thing that I think we have, um, which is a lot more um, a lot more controversial, I suppose. But you know, hey, I wouldn't be on a podcast if I wasn't ever controversial about stuff. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, I think one of the biggest problems that the ecosystem has is parochialism. Um, that's a that's a that's a real problem. Um, accelerators and incubators and oh, goodness knows who else. I really just really want to hold on tight to the few startup companies that are that are that that they've got and they're unwilling to share or or um acknowledge that there might be better methods um and better and and there might be better advice out there for those startups so um so consequently there's this parochialism or it can also exist in things like um you know city departments and and government that want to um take ownership over um, startup success and I can see why they do it because they want to show that they're successful and that they've got you know a um, uh, whole bunch of companies within their portfolio. They've number of cohorts, number of meetings, number of you know VC visits, number of companies that have been um, identified by you know venture capital, um, number of follow up meetings, a number of you know. Companies that have been invested in, by how much, you know, all of these kinds of metrics um, really, uh, <laughs> really scream a parochialism. And, and, and I have a real problem with that. You know, I do. I really do. I really have a problem with it. And it's not to say that you shouldn't have that rigor at the other end, right? The cone out. Um, there's not a, there, there isn't, there, there are good reasons to have all of that. I agree that there must be the cone outrigger as much as my other end, which is the cone in rigor, um, recruiting and, and advising companies, you need to have the other side too. There's no, no doubt about it. But, um, but what I also find, um, unattractive about the, the ecosystem is, um, is two other things that I think, um, the two previous things that I just said, um, redundancy and, and, um, uh, and layering uh, and parochialism uh, leads to a problem with what what we call network effect and um, and economies of agglomeration. So, what are those two things? Well, network effect, very briefly, is um, is the number of startups and other entrepreneurs and you know artists and scientists and other kind of influential people. Uh, in are in a particular ecosystem and how much they, um, you know, want to be around each other and, you know, create a cafe culture or, a, or I think in Southern California it's more like a, a, um, a craft brewery uh, <laughs> um, uh, culture. So, you know, it's that, it's that building, building that. Um, when you have parochialism, that skews it. Uh, when you lack rigor, it skews it um, so so I think that I think that we need to grow that we need to grow that um, uh, um, that network effect and not just a network I mean networking effect is not about networking it it's about like networking one on one talking and meeting other people. Network effect is about like how you would describe a neural network. Um, or, or a brains network right so um so, so I, I i like to look at it kind of more in that kind of mathematical sense of what a network is and then the other one is is um economies of agglomeration now this is really really super important this is uh, relates to um how much it really kind of costs to run a startup um when you have a, a good economy of agglomeration, you have prices going down for service providers, like, I don't know, IP attorneys, accountants, things like that, because there's um, a larger serviceable group of startups within that community. So there's a network um, that allows that to, that to flourish. And so it lowers the price of, of uh, lowers the, the, the overall prices that, um, that are charged for service, certain services. And, um, and this is a good thing, um, in a community that doesn't have that, like, um, uh, you know, some parts of LA that don't have, um, or Orange County that don't have that network effect, then those startups have to travel if they're in, located in those areas, uh, and those service providers have to travel to an area where there is that agglomeration and that network effect. And so, um, so consequently. Um, in those areas where, say, in Irvine, where there's there's a lot of um, activity, um, then you tend to have more parochialism. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so I I I would like to see a map drawn more evenly, I suppose, and I want that evenness not to necessarily be a ge- geographic, but it needs to be. Um, uh, we need to sort through what's what we what we classify as good advice and what's a good network, and we actually need to plan for what that should be next, rather than rather than what we've got now, which is essentially a piecemeal um, operation of advising startups and um, putting them into an ecosystem. What we're really kind of doing is like it's a bit like putting toothpaste back into the tube. Um, yeah what we really, really need to do is just not have a tube at all. And and um, and I think that most people believe that they already don't have a tube at all, but I actually think that the, the way that the ecosystem works is just not like that, um, at least not currently like that. Um, and then there's, the, the, and I guess, finally, I think, you know, this is kind of um, a distant fifth on that, on my list, I suppose, sixth, I don't know how many numbers now. <laughs> but, you know, distant fifth or sixth is this kind of predatory um, aspect to the ecosystem too, right? So there's, and there's a n- number of ways that this manifests itself. One is, you know, through um, service providers uh, and um, and that, that can sometimes uh, feel predatory for, for um, you know, consultants that are, are not as, as honest or as, um, or as good or as rigorous as others mm-hmm. and um, and also on the other side of that is um, there could be some um, and, and this is probably heresy but I'm going to say it anyway um, uh, but there's there's there are a lot of investors out there that view startups like a commodity uh, and we, and we've I think we've got to um, I think we've got to move past that
2: yeah
0: right Um. so I know you were mentioning how different advisors can have different forms of advice, right? Like some are really anecdotal, some are really formulaic, but it feels like there's not any singular truth, right? Like entrepreneurship is almost like an art form. People have different perspectives of it and because of their experience, it's very case by case. Do you think there is something closer to the truth or is it truly like case by case for every startup? Like, I feel like there has to be some middle ground, right?
1: No, there isn't actually. Um, sorry, Justin to burst your bubble on that one, but <laughs> honestly, 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 there is a kind of a, a there are, there, there is a, there is a case. So, so there's no, not a middle ground, but it, it is a, it is, it is a hyper ground for both of those things that you just said. Right. So there's a, there's a case by case basis for everything. I mean, absolutely everything. Um, and so there's not a middle ground. You can't take that middle ground. That that middle ground is kind of neutrality and it's kind of the tyranny of the middle, right? No, mm-hmm. uh, kind of no zero. No, absolutely not. Um, yes. It's always going to be a case by case basis. And yet there is this idea of getting closer to a universal truth. And so the only way of doing that is really appealing to your customers. So what are your customers saying? You know, I, I remember this conversation I had with a, actually another Canadian company, ironically enough, um, this Canadian company said, you know, well, our investors told us to do this. And I was like mortified. And I was like, well, the investors <laughs> told you, advisors told you to do this. No, what did your customers tell you to do? You know, that should be the universal truth. The universal truth should be what your customers say. And customers are fickle. So, you know, keep, keep talking to them. Um, you know, the whim of the market is, you know, that, that, "Quote unquote invisible hand" really is invisible. You know, it can it can it can give you a good slap from time to time, and you you know can get blindsided by it. So I I, I, I tend to think that there are universal truths, um, uh, and and those universal truths are going to change from company to company. How's that? How's that to tie all of it? That's amazing. It's a hybrid answer to my hybrid hybrid answer, right? So I think, but I think that that's closer to closer to what's really going on. I mean, if we, if we look at it from the perspective of the startup, the startup is always going to have to find a way of appealing to, to to two or three disparate groups that want very different things. One is the investor. Another one is the influencer, the person who is not quite an adopter but kind of can champion for the startup. And then the final one is the customer. And the customer is actually the most important. The other two are not that equal um, to the customer. And so, um, you know, hearing voices from the customer is probably going to be more important for a startup. Absolutely.
2: I heard you um, say that investors view startup companies as almost like a commodity. Mm -hmm. How would you describe like the current ecosystem for investing especially right now because of covid like how are a lot of investors going about searching for new startups
1: well you know i don't know and that's a and that's that's a uh, that's an interesting that's a really interesting question and i think that um it depends you know as an expression that i often say which is there are horses for courses right yeah Um, uh i think uh Esteban, you've heard me use that expression more than once. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 um, I hate to say it depends, but it really does. It really depends. If you've got a science uh, or an engineering company, they're going to be very different to a consumer-facing kind of product company, um, and which is going to be different again to a uh, a tech company that does an app or a software as a service. Um, on the other hand, um, if you're an investor that's approaching each of those markets individually, th- there's going to be different metrics that you're going to be living by. Um, for example, the, the, the I wrote a paper a long time ago, geez, a long time ago, for a senior, a senior paper for my undergraduate um, on um, compressing the latency to market. So, you know, you have a discovery of some kind and uh, you want to commercialize it. Um, we call it like the nascent end of the spectrum. And then on the other end of the spectrum is the demand phase. And this demand phase is, can be in, in I don't know, for an, a cancer therapy, can be years and years out, <laughs> like literally years away. And so that demand phase, um, you know, because you've got to do all this R&D and then you've got to do animal trials and then clinical trials and then, you know, a, a, it's cumbersome. It's unwieldy. It's it, there's a lot of regulations tied to it. There's a lot of there's a lot at stake. Safety to um, to the patient, right? Um, so these things are a long way away. And there's ways that you can compress this, you know, this kind of concertina this um, demand and uh, nascent to demand pathway, and that latency can be you know compressed. Um, in a software company. You know, I've heard um, we had a company from Singapore come through our accelerator, and they um, they had a an app that they developed in three months. They had something like four hundred customers um, on the app. uh, Far different, and that was in the shipping industry. Far different. I mean, way, way different to a to a. uh, to a science company. And so I, I suspect that the way that a, an investor will approach each of those is going to be different. I mean, there are some clear metrics that, that, that I think that a sophisticated um, investor will want uh, in a startup. And one of those things is, uh, you know, the metric that I think is the most important is the multiple. You know, how many sales are you having? How is that affecting your, your, your um, delivery of service? Um, and how is that playing out on your pro forma? Um, I think that that's probably the most important metric, but, you know, there are some investors out there that want to hear about the team and they want to hear about the story and they want to hear about, you know, a range of other things. Um, I don't to use, a, to use a movie kind of analogy, I actually think that's a kind of a MacGuffin because you know um entrepreneurs can be trained you know you can send them off to a class you can put them through a university course you can replace them you can there's a whole range of things you can do right if a company's not performing you know you can ask someone to step aside and bring in a new ceo and have someone move to a more of a technology role or something like that i mean i don't know i'm just guessing but but those are the kinds of possibilities, right? I mean, you know, if you're talking about team um, or even advisors, I've heard, I've heard the expression, you know, a, 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 a company needs more grey hairs. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm not, I, I don't like that expression very much either. But, you know, I, I'm actually thinking the opposite. You know, do you really want to sit in a room with a stuffy guy like Jim Cooper? Right, and 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 hear a whole bunch of stuff about rigor and methodology that you just want to get on with your work. Um, (laughs) I'd be inclined if I was an entrepreneur and I was in my twenties, I'd be inclined to to forego the grey hair people and and kind of go with some young people who have got the energy and the and the um, sufficient instability. I mean, and I mean that in a in a nice way. You know, that not really working on their four hundred one k. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd m- much rather you know have have have
1: them in my team um, than advisors who are you know in their fifties and sixties who have literally got grey hair or none. Um, uh, and their grey hair has gone grey because you know the, the kind of a, there's an there's an adage in there right that the grey hair has come about because of all this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, experience counts for naught. I've seen I've seen tons and tons of people. Fail in spite of their experience. So you know, um, I think there's a lot of luck involved. I think there's a lot of uh, really good entrepreneurs that are they young and and have got energy and are smart and creative. Um, they've got the will to succeed. I think those are things that are that, that are um, that drive a, a startup forward. Um, and to finish off your question, Esteban, about about investors. Um, I think that investors need to move back to metrics. Uh, I I think they need to move back to metrics in a big way um, and not look at the cool factor. Um, Another thing that I I think is, is worrisome um, is that we're still investing in companies that are producing things that don't have, um, that aren't solving the massive problems of humanity, like, um, institutional poverty, um, institutional racism, uh, climate change and global warming, sea level rise and all of the associated things with that. Um, we're not solving the problems of, of, you know, building things that require sacrifice um, on humanity's part. We're still building stuff that's going to pollute we still are building things that are going to, you know, optimize our purchasing through Amazon um, or something like that. When we really should be, you know, uh, especially during COVID, uh, supporting our local businesses and, um, and and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm i in, in that respect, um, I'm probably, um, I probably differ to most of my, my colleagues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: And so I'm assuming there isn't enough investment into these type of industries because the ROI isn't immediate and it isn't like a thousand X right away. Right. Is there a way that we can make it more appealing to invest in companies that are actually built for social good and making like a positive impact on our environment? Um,
1: there's no easy way of doing it. No. Um, you've just got to find committed investors who who, um, who are willing to do it, and I don't mean impact investors. I mean, you know, the only way to really change the way um, uh, uh, really change people's behaviour is to hit their pocketbook um, and and make it so that they um, either it's an incentive to to build um, technologies that are, um, are in a robust way, helping the environment or alleviating poverty or whatever it might be, Um, uh, it's hard work. It really is. And I think that a lot of investors are are looking at ways to do that through kind of this hybrid philanthropic and investor kind of model like an impact investor or something like that. Um, still want to get an ROI at the end. Um, they want to invest probably a little bit later, um, which means then that we've got this gap, this gap in the front end, which is the kind of the angel investor and the seed stage investor, the pre-seed investor, bridging rounds, things like that. And, um, But what it takes is, what it takes I think is, is for investors then to also build a cadre of, um, of investors beneath them. That and I don't mean beneath in a in a um, dogmatic way. I mean I mean it in a structural way rather than a hierarchical way. But um, that that can meet the challenges of raising funds, uh, you know, raising a fund um, that it's you know seed or angel fund or or and encouraging them to build a pipeline of investable companies. I I, I think that the more, the more that a company is, is rejected rather than, than, um, uh, I, let, let me rephrase that. If, a, if, a, if a VC just wholly rejects a company and says, no, you know, and, but here's some advice and, you know, go away, you can come back later and, and kind of pitch us again, but you know, the, this kind of a no for now, I think, um, that's kind of the way that we've been operating. Instead, what I think is we you genuinely need to build a pipeline development. And this pipeline development it has to be um, can't be arbitrary like this. Um, it has to be um, it has to be built in a way that has. Um, a, a broad um, group of stakeholders, it needs to have a um, and this is kind of, I guess, my policy thing coming at me, right? And it needs to have a, um, it, it, it needs some altruism. I mean, genuine altruism. I mean, I don't mean like, you know, altruism like, you know, um, you know, m- m- looking upon startup companies like, uh, you know, noblesse oblige or, uh, you know, you know, it, it's not like that. It's more like a, um uh It's more like building the foundations from say university um startup teams all the way through and so that you've you're 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 constantly um you're constantly you're in contact with the with the startup companies with the university teams with the transfer office you're asking questions about their progress even if you're not technically an advisor so that you're building up this this um, this group of, and uh, knowledge base of all of the potential entrepreneurs that are in the that are in the, that ecosystem, because even if they don't stick with that startup or that university team or whatever it might be, um, they might actually be hired somewhere else by someone else, and you might meet them again, and they might have perfected that product or or, or something with this new team, and now they're taking it to market. I think. I think it's complex. I think that there's, um, I mean, I, I look at our model, and our model is that we, you know, we want to look at the, at, at a, a full pipeline, even before, you know, this could be years out um, before we actually see them as as real startups. Um, you know, we, we we tend to kind of cultivate, I suppose, um, that really really early stage um, development. You know proto, proto development, I suppose, of, of startups, um, because I think it's just the right thing to do. You know, otherwise, why are we doing this? And you know, why are we doing this in the first place?
2: Yeah. How do you see the investment ecosystem changing in the next five years?
1: Um, I don't yet. I, I, I don't know how it's going to... You know, it's a bit like playing a game of Tetris, right? You know, the blocks come in at the top and you've got to kind of arrange them. Well, I think we're yeah. in that arrangement mode and the blocks are still falling. So we don't know kind of how they're going to end up. Um, so, well, first of all, um, don't let a crisis, a good crisis, get away from us. You know, you know we've got to use it. Um and so I think that the investors have um, they have a few options. Um, the first option I think is to continue doing what they're doing pre COVID. Um, they can go after another market, which I've seen a lot of investors have gone now um, uh, after the PPP or PPE market. Sorry, the PPE market, um, personal protective equipment market Um, and they've kind of totally left everything else aside because there's some, there's some ROI in, in the PPP, PPE market. Um, You know, that kind of abandonment is, um, it's going to be seen by startups. Startups are going to see that. They're going to go, Oh, okay. Well at at the height of COVID when we were, you know, still living on ramen, Uh, these investors kind of took their pool of money and they took it out of the market. You know, when we were at crunch time and we were looking for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to keep someone on so that we could, you know, build a, um, a, uh, software as a service that, uh, could monitor, you know, crop rotation, um, to alleviate world hunger. (laughs) Ultimately that would be the goal, right. Um, then, um, they they left they went somewhere else because they were more they were concerned more about money than they were about building an ecosystem i think that's gonna i think it's gonna come back and bite the ecosystem itself i think there's a lot of people like that in the ecosystem i really do it's a shame but i think there is
0: i think uh, something more tangible than like five years in the future what's like the yeah. next 12 months look like for braid theory Twelve months is for theory?
1: next 12 that's months are great for great theory um, <laughs> really, really <laughs> great projects you know we've got a couple of Department of Energy projects um, uh, that's um, uh, one of those projects up at the Pacific Northwest National Lab is looking at uh, ocean observing uh, so looking at things like weather systems and um, uh, the sensor data around um, around storms and uh, uh, water quality, all those kinds of things. Uh, So we're working on a project there. Uh, We have a couple of um, clean tech and ocean-related Canadian companies that are cohorted, and and they're coming down. And we've got some companies that are are in our portfolio that are really doing well at the moment. Um, We have um, a a couple of approvals um, for a couple of pilot projects, paid, paid pilot projects. Uh, so we're pretty happy about that because, um, you know, um, we get paid. (laughs) So, so those are those are really, really cool. Um, uh, we have some other, um, projects that are coming up, um, which, um, are pretty exciting as well where, um, we're on a, a, uh, you know, listed as, um, uh, proposal, um, subcontractors in in a couple of um uh large kinds of projects so I'm, I'm really kind of chuffed about that that's 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 really really good um you know there's some continuing on with the more mundane stuff of course you know <laughs> the day-to-day everyday stuff but the, nonetheless still needs to be done um you know we um we are still uh, we're still trying to find LPS for our fund um, we have um, we have a number of other projects overseas that we're looking at um, uh, you know moving to maturity now that um, uh, now that COVID 19 is kind of on its you know we're getting I, I guess we're in the, the next six months we're getting um, we're getting uh, jabbed with needles uh, a couple of times to right build our immunity for uh, COVID-19. Hmm. So we're, we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, um, and this will be good. Right. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of bring some of those projects forward. Um, yeah, yeah. Got fun it. times.
0: Yeah. So you, you talked about how, um, you know, your portfolio companies are doing well. And I was just curious, cause I don't think we've ever chatted about this, but how do you really pick these companies? for your portfolio? Are there specific qualities you look into? So I feel like you have slightly different views and like the general population of investors, you have different, slightly different values and different lens.
1: Well, they're not, they're not quite heterodoxical views, but they're, they're, um, some of them are different. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And we've spoken about this before and, Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, yeah, okay, so what do I look at? Um, a, defensible, a defensible IP, um, you know, that's a, that's a good one. Well-validated science, it has to be pretty good, good stuff. And a, a competent business model, you know, and, and a well-developed, mature and sophisticated business model, not um, like, hey, Jim, we're a B2B company. No, Mm-mm. you know, you're not even going to last five minutes with me with, with, a, with a response like that. That's just that's just nonsense that's just jive talking you know so i um yeah i'm, I'm much more on, on those three things that i'm much more important than this don't, don't tell me a story i don't want to know your story tell me what your idea is if it solves a problem um you know we can develop product market fit over time um that doesn't need to be immediate uh mm-hmm. tell me what the problem is tell me the problem that you're solving so tell me about the product has it got the defensible IP? Uh, what's business model? What's an actual business model? Do you have customers? If you don't have customers, how many people have you interviewed? How many people have you gone out? Have you built up a, a, a you know archetype or a profile or personas of your of your your potential customers? Have you done a really good analysis of the, the um, of the landscape, competitive landscape? Are there any kind of regulatory barriers or features or unfair advantages there are there partners in the market that can help you get there all of those things contribute to a really good business model robust business model um, yeah those are the things that I concentrate on the most you know right. I, 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 you know the personalities of the people in the in your team you know what universities they went to <laughs> But you I know, guess I went to a I went to a string of state colleges, and you know I, <laughs> I know a lot of people from more elite universities, quote unquote elite universities, mm-hmm. and you know I um, I tend to think that yeah they're smart too.
0: Right. Do you think there's like a bubble where these uh, Stanford MBAs kind of roll out of college and create their first startup and it's immediately venture back just because yeah. of the revolving, the revolving door. Look, we, right. we
1: don't put up with revolving door economics, unit economics, um, when it's you know elected officials. So why would we put up with it in any other part part of the the um, uh, the economy either? I'm I'm skeptical. You know, when I was when I was an undergraduate <laughs> in the dim dark days of Cro-Magnon College, right? Um, I. Uh, I did a, I was studying political science at the time. Um, I did a, um, a quick analysis of syllabus from syllabi, sorry, maybe I don't know. I can't even remember. I'm, my English is not that good obviously, um, uh, of different, of different syllabus from, uh, other universities and, and what they were studying for the same sections that I was studying in that particular quarter. I think I was, I think we were on a quarter system at, at, at that time. And, um, I kind of looked at them and did some comparisons. And same books, exactly the same books, exactly the same course, just just at a different university. Okay, so some people will say, well, you know, they're more elite. They got higher grades on their SATs. They were, you know, uh, selected because of a whole range of other things and everything, you know, really, it's it's, you know... If you were looking at this from a football team perspective, um, you know, there are several really good elite academies in in, in, in international football. You know, um, Barcelona has a good one. Manchester United has a good one. Uh, Chelsea has a good one. Uh, Everton and Liverpool have, a, have good academies as well. But by far, a lot of them are... A lot of the, the the um the really high performing um members of the team are the kind of the what I would classify as the yeoman um of the of each of those teams, and the, and they've been recruited through transfer or from other leagues around the world, and so I I, I tend to think that that's actually the reality that really startups are run by yeoman teams and not by the Stanford MBAs.
2: So I just want to say thank you, Jim. This is my last question as well. And I know you've been my mentor for a while now. Mm -hmm. Um, Through my ups and downs, when I wanted to quit, you were able to help me keep my head on the path and keep me moving forward. So I guess just the last thing I would say is What would you say to a startup founder who's launching their new business venture Mm -hmm. and they're thinking about quitting right now? Mm -hmm. What would you say in order to encourage them to really keep moving forward and keep striving?
1: Um, I have one word, a
0: (laughs) What does that mean?
1: (laughs) Um, It's a Greek word. So um, um, hoplite armies um, during the days before the Peloponnesian Wars, they used to, um, uh, and particularly the Spartans. But you know, yeah. I know, a lot of stuff has been spoken about the Spartans. But um, hoplite warfare was um, characterised by um, this kind of shield, round shield, and the shield wall, and a kind of this long um, uh, pike um, spear kind of thing. And um, you know, the helmet with the little eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And um uh and the and the phalanx. So the um hoplite phalanx. Uh the way that they were able to maintain this shield wall was this thing called a thismos. A thysmos basically means push. And um in times when armies used to have to, you know, line up and they were pushing against one against the other. Um, this was a highly effective um, way of conducting warfare, um, mainly because, you know, they would, the, how the enemy army would crash into your shield wall and the, the pressure behind you um, would um, and your shield wall would kind of hold you there. I think that that's the approach that you need to... Um, that you need to take. I think you need to um, uh, apply a thismos You need to just keep pushing. Just, um, just stay at it. You know, ask for advice. You know, there's plenty of. There's no reason to fail. You know, really, really, I'm not into this whole. I'm not into this whole failure thing. You know, this like, you know it's like okay to fail because you learn from your mistakes right. and everything. You know, you can equally learn from your successes. You can equally learn from others' mistakes. You can equally ask. Right you know, other people, hey, you know, what am I doing wrong here? You know? Um, it, 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 you utilize the, the 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 avenues to advice and and you should always get that. It should be there should be a good redundancy of 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 advice. You should get a lot of it, even if it's conflicting advice. Because the the, the, the idea is to you know get a a range of of possibilities that then you can, you know stay well informed about um you know, those are the kinds of things you can ask go ask go do research all of those things are everyone's more than capable of doing it otherwise 150 million people out there who have got, probably got more you know mortgage or rent um live their day-to-day lives i mean <laughs> it's not that hard guys it's just a human condition so you know get get out there and just do your work yeah before Thank I, you again. before I kick your ass <laughs> <laughs>